Voices from the Front Lines, your national movement-building show. This is Eric Mann in studio with Channing Martinez, and uh, we are very upset. We're very upset about the vigilantes in Texas attacking women who are carrying out their right, their reproductive rights, their right to an abortion. It's not the first time. Uh, It's getting serious. You know, there's a right-wing movement in this country who, in my opinion, is more committed to their movement than we are to ours and is challenging us to step up because when I was in the civil rights movement, our movement was more committed than theirs and they knew that and they were on the run. And we have to up the game and use the opportunity for their abuses to rebuild our movement and strengthen our movement. So I'm very lucky to be on the phone today with Desiree Lucky, who's uh, the director of policy at a group called Urge, and they are working all over the country. They're also working in Texas. I want to thank Channing Martinez for making that connection. Let me explain what we're trying to do. The second half of the show is going to be a tribute to Ed Asner, the great Ed Asner who died on August 29th. 2021. I know August 29th because I was in the August 29th movement. And we have some wonderful clips of Ed, and I'm going to frame it as part of a film we were in called Tiger by the Tail about the GM Van Nuys campaign. That was in 1982 to 1986 about. And for those of you who know Ed, 
There's a whole lot about Ed you don't know, and he'll be showing up in the second half of the show. I was just on the phone with Desiree before. Desiree? Yes, hi. Can you hear me? Thanks for being on the front lines. Uh, Voices from the front lines is one of the few shows where the only question is, what are you going to do about it? We will not have people talk about what's wrong. We know what's wrong. But the organizers are the ones who know the most what's wrong. But I have to say that this has been an escalation of terrorism against women that might be one of their big mistakes because it's an overstep. You know what I mean? It's a major overstep that we have a chance to beat back. And I think it does create a lot of outrage. Uh, You've been doing this work for a long time. Uh, Tell me a little bit just quickly about your background. And then what do you think have been the events leading up to it? And then tell us what is the very specific reality of the Texas situation so we can get our facts right. Sure. Um, Well, I'll give you a little background on me. My name is Desiree Lucky. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm director of policy at URGE, Unite for Reproductive and Gender Equity. To give you a little context on URGE, URGE builds power and sustains a young people's movement for reproductive justice by centering the leadership of young people of color who are women, queer, trans, non-binary, and people of low income. So we work in Texas and other states across the South and Midwest to organize our communities, provide a political home for young people, advocate for meaningful policy change, and do work to shift culture, working in our states where there are the most challenges, but also some of the opportunities that are the greatest. Um, So my background, I actually just recently started at URGE, but have been doing work around democracy reform um, and reproductive health and rights and justice for pretty much the entirety of my career. Um, I've worked at the National LGBTQ Task Force and the National Women's Law Center, and then worked for elected officials um, and on campaigns. Actually, I'm right here in Texas right now, or just based in DC, but I'm in San Antonio. So I'm really kind of seeing what's happening on the front lines here. Um, And it's terrifying. Um, I think SB 8 in particular was crafted in such a way that makes it very hard to challenge legally. Um, And so we're seeing this unprecedented assault on abortion access here um, in Texas, six week ban, no, no abortions after six weeks. And then anyone who assists someone with getting an abortion after six weeks, and that can be from the doctor who provides it, a nurse who assists, down to the Lyft driver who takes you to a clinic um, can be sued for at least $10,000 by anyone. As long as the lawsuit is made in a Texas court, Mm -hmm. then people are free to go ahead and sue providers uh, basically into oblivion so they're not able to actually provide the abortion care people need. So it's pretty terrifying times here in Texas. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Desiree, is that... um Given the intensity of this, why isn't it, uh, you know, I, I don't believe in the law very much, but why, what is the argument that people have immunity to do essentially citizen's arrest? And and if you're, if, you know, are you allowed to just basically assault a woman? Can you physically stop a woman from getting an abortion? Can you, who are you suing? 
uh, all the help us flesh out the horror of the situation. Yeah, so I'm happy to do that. So as SB8 is written, um, folks are not actually allowed to sue someone who is pregnant and seeking an abortion, even if they're seeking that abortion beyond the six weeks that is enacted by the ban. What they're basically doing is preventing people from accessing abortions by eliminating it to six weeks. We know in Texas, 85 to 90% of abortions in the state take place after six weeks. So they've essentially reduced it down to no one being able to actually access an abortion legally because most people don't find out that they're pregnant until after six weeks. For most people, if you have a regular period, that's maybe two weeks. Um, after you're after you've missed your period, so by the time you're trying to schedule an abortion, which Texas has already made it harder by having a 24-hour waiting period, you have to have two appointments: an initial appointment where there's an ultrasound and misinformation provided to you, and then there's a second appointment for the actual procedure. So by the time you're actually even able to get in, most people are beyond that six-week limit, and so then for folks who are able to try to seek an abortion after that six weeks, anyone who participates in the process of helping them pass that six-week ban can now be sued by anyone. It doesn't have to be someone in Texas even. No one has to have evidence for sure that you have helped them. People are going based off speculation um, that you may have assisted someone if you've contributed to an abortion fund, if you've helped organize for an abortion fund, if you have driven someone to a clinic, literally anything that you can think of um, that goes into the process of someone being able to have an abortion, anyone who helps with that process can be sued anywhere across any state court in all of Texas. So it's pretty horrific um, that people are just able to police their neighbors and community members in such a way. Um, and I think the, the scary part is it really harkens back to some other awful ways in which this sort of vigilante behavior has shown up and been sanctioned legally in our country. We can look all the way back to the Fugitive Slave Act, where individual private citizens were deputized, just like this, to be able to go after their fellow citizens who were in violation of the law. So this is, it's, it's jarring because this is so egregious and we're seeing it in 2021 but this is honestly just a replica of the same sort of really dangerous um, vigilantism that we've had in this country really since its inception so this isn't new um it's just the newest iteration of something that's pretty awful yeah and if i just could elaborate that from 1492 on the whites have been allowed to just do whatever they want and to self-deputize. And if they were denied land, they would just go out and take land and kill anybody in their place. So we have this whole history, as you pointed out. Now, the question is, just on, on the legal grounds, what was the ridiculous grounds on which the Supreme Court did not overturn this? Um, So there is already a case that's gone up in front of the Supreme Court that um, more specifically gets to the heart of Roe v. Wade, which, of course, we know folks are trying desperately to overturn. Um, So 
a district court um, was supposed to be deciding whether litigation could proceed against state judges, but before that was decided, Texas filed an appeal and the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, but then the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ordered the district court not to decide the case. Um, there was supposed to be a hearing in front of the Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit canceled that, which is how reproductive rights organizations ended up filing an emergency motion with the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court rejected that request, um, which means there's not a single court that has actually decided whether SBA is, is unconstitutional. Um, we're all just operating under SBA now um, based on a bunch of procedural moves that states as well well, litigators have made to try to get some sort of help in this. So obviously this is not how I think anyone, whether you've gone to law school or not, <laughs> should know this is not really how we should be making decisions about which laws are constitutional and which ones are not. So because the Supreme Court had not issued any sort of decision um, on Wednesday, September 1st, that was how the law was able to go into effect. Now we are waiting um, sometime this fall, there should be oral arguments on another case, the one I was mentioning in Mississippi, where there's a 15-week ban um, that the court will be deciding on. Um, and that will give us some more insight as to the status of Roe and Casey, another big, um, a big reproductive rights case that the Supreme Court has heard before. Um, but I mean, at this, at this point, it's pretty horrific to see what the inaction and the conservative justices on the Supreme Court have done for, for reproductive rights. Sorry, clarifying question. So as I understand it, then the case in Texas will be reintroduced to the Supreme Court later this year? Um, so the, the case in Texas is on its own procedural path with the Supreme Court will hear later this fall is a case um, on Mississippi. Mississippi has its own ban that they implemented. It's not six weeks like Texas, it's 15 weeks. Um, and so we'll, the Supreme Court will hear oral arguments um, on that case this fall. They haven't announced when yet, but it should be sometime this fall. Well, let me ask you this. Um, the, the vice is tightening, I mean, you know, every single case is about denying more and more rights, right? I mean, there's so they're all going to so-called keep Roe versus Wade for six weeks one place, 16 weeks another place, uh, with all kinds of horrible uh, consequences. Um, you and I were talking in the car about um, ways that people can help, and I want to explain something to our KPFK listeners. Um the uh, how can I put it? I cannot directly urge you to support a group under some FCC thing. Uh, that doesn't mean I can't ask very important groups the support that they need, and you can make the decision. But I will say something in general that I think we're all obligated to become major donors. You know, I, I organize uh, fundraising at the Strategy Center all the time. And major donors, you know, what 
number could that be? 5,000, 10,000, sometimes 25,000. But I consider a major donor anybody who punches above their own weight. You know, somebody who's Absolutely. making 12 bucks an hour, and if they give $25, they're a major donor to me. If somebody gives $50, and I know how hard it is for them to give 50 a major donor is somebody who really cares and gives at the highest level they can. So that's framing the question in general. Uh, Desiree, why don't you talk about all the people that need funds, the names of people? Why don't you talk about all the other things that are needed? Because we'd like to have you on the show more regularly because this is not a one-off problem. Maybe you could describe the groups on the ground. Describe the national, you know, particular, I think, uh, our listeners would be interested in helping groups in Texas first. But it's it's a national pandemic. So uh, how should we proceed? If you're asking people in L.A., what should we do and how should we do it? Absolutely. Um, so, like I said, ERG is a national organization, but we do work in states, Texas included. And the biggest thing, the most important thing right now that people can be doing is directly funding those who are on the ground doing the work. Um, and when it comes to abortion access, that is 100% abortion funds. Right. Um, so right now, um, I don't know if I can give the website over yes, here. Yes, you can. Oh, you can, give, you can give everything. You can give your website. You can ask for whatever you want. Okay. Um, well, there's a website right now called needabortion.org, um, and folks can go to needabortion.org and get information about how to get an abortion in Texas. So if anyone outside is listening to this in Texas and needs help, that's a great place. But it's also a place where you can donate directly. Um, the website is collecting donations for 10 different abortion funds, and I'll say them by name. Good. Um, that way, if folks have preferences to where it goes, they can donate to them directly. So that's the Bridge Collective, Clinic Access Support Network, Frontera Fund, Fund Texas Choice, James Due Process, Lilith Fund, Support Your Sister at the ASEA Center, Texas Equal Access Fund, West Fund, and Whole Women's Health Alliance. So it's important that there are all these abortion funds that exist because some are able to provide resources to folks in certain parts of the state. We know some parts of the state there's just a lot more need because people are having to travel a lot farther to be able to access the abortion care that they need. Sometimes that's three, four, five more hours um, for one appointment to turn around and have to do that same drive back another day to be able to actually have their procedure or it's the cost of staying in a hotel, it's lost wages. Um, so these abortion funds all provide different levels of support for different things, whether it be for a procedure itself um, or the practical sort of assistance that's needed to be able to access an abortion. So I think right now and for the foreseeable future, um, I read somewhere that Texas abortion funds are saying it's going to cost about five times more than it usually costs them to be able to provide abortion care and service to people um, who are seeking their assistance. Um, but the thing you can also do, and not just donating to Texas, but the donating to abortion funds in your local area. So we know places like Kansas are going to see upticks 
and people who are coming across state lines to be able to access abortion care. Um, so as much as it's important to give to Texas, and it is critical um, for those who are like, I don't know, I need to do more research about these funds, look for the funds in your local communities and in your state, um, because there are going to be some folks who maybe they have family in your state and they're able to stay with family. So instead of having an abortion in Texas, it might be easier for them to actually travel somewhere else and access that abortion, but they're still going to need funds for the procedure. They're going to need funds to help with travel. So really doing whatever you can to support Texas abortion funds and providers. And then from there, second, second tier sort of assistance is making sure that you're supporting the abortion funds that are local to your area as well. Desiree, say the name of the group in Texas again, because the, I think the Federation of Groups is terrific. It's called, yeah, what, what so is it? The, the website is needabortion.org. Needabortion.org. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason I think that's so exciting is because, frankly, you could be funding 10 groups, and uh, the more you give, obviously, if it's divided by 10. I know, given your background, but just to make it explicit, that I'm sure that a lot of these groups are working in low-income black and Latinx communities, but I just would like to Absolutely. ask that as a fact. Absolutely. And some of these groups are specifically working to make sure um, that people from communities of color are supported, including Support Your Sister at the AFIA Center. Um, and also, if you particularly care about young people, right. which we do at URGE, um, James Due Process works with young people in Texas who have to go through the judicial, judicial bypass in order to get their abortion, which is a whole other layer of complexity, right? So if you already have a six-week ban in place, and then you have to go through judicial bypass process to get permission from a judge to be able to access the abortion care that you need. We know that's going to make it nearly impossible for a lot of people, particularly young people who may not know really how their bodies are working to know that their period is late um, and may not spot it as early as some other folks might. This is just compounding the many, many obstacles that we know young people face. Um, when it comes to accessing abortion care. Well, the, the last question um, uh, I'd ask you, um, at some point you and I discussed the idea that there's going to have to be, uh, at least in my opinion, uh, some more direct action. In other words, are people going to be free to just walk around and sue everybody and you know, I'm sure create a state of terror around the abortion clinics themselves. I know there's going to be a, a need for people to put their bodies on the line in, in that these uh, misogynistic fascists, in my opinion, are uh, highly motivated through hatred. Um, are there groups already thinking in this direction? What's the conversation like? Uh, you know, this is in the early stages, but I'm just interested to at least raise it as what's being talked about. Sure. Um, I think off my work pedestal, <laughs> um, I can definitely say there are folks, especially folks who have done um, organizing around protecting clinics in the past, right. who are very much interested in doing that sort of direct action, bodies on the line protecting folks who are going to access abortion care. 
Um, so I don't speak on behalf of Urge in saying that, but definitely know that those conversations are happening. I think the conversations that we're having nationally within Repro, a lot of it is just let's find every possible way that we can stop this, right. um, but also what can we do to make sure our folks who are on the ground who want to activate and mobilize around this are as protected legally as possible. We have folks who are asking us, if I tweet about how you can um, access prescription medication abortion from out of state, does that mean someone's going to be able to sue me in a court in Texas, whether I live in Texas or not? And right now, frankly, we don't know the answers to that, (laughs) Um, but we want to be able to do the brainstorming we can with folks on the ground and folks working across local, state, and federal policy and organizing to make sure that we're able to provide folks with as much knowledge as possible. So no matter where they opt to be in terms of activating around this, um, they're as protected as they can or want to be in those circumstances and that we're giving people the information that they need. I think the other thing we're trying to do is activate folks out of state, not only to donate to abortion funds, but to do what they can to make sure that this doesn't happen in their state legislature. So if they've already heard that their states are planning on putting forth a copycat SB8, thinking about what strategies we can implement to make sure that even um, we don't know when this might be ruled unconstitutional, um, but if it's something that comes up in their state, they've got plans of action and they're ready to mobilize around this as well. So we want folks on the ground, but we want people to be safe. And at this point, uh, we're still figuring out exactly what that looks like. Um, but we're definitely going to be, as we are figuring that out, pushing that out on our social media, on our website, to our email list to make sure people who want to engage around SBA and abortion access in general um, have all the information they need to be protected, um, but also to make some meaningful changes for the folks who are seeking abortion care. Well, Desiree, we're very happy to have you on the show, and I think what we're going to do is if you're open to it, I mean, we'd rather do it more systematically, like once a month, have you on, so and others, you know, so that we... What we do here is we don't sort of... Uh, once we discuss something, we're committed. That's how it works. If if we're with the, uh, the Sisters and Brothers at Standing Rock, we did four straight shows on Standing Rock to make sure that, you know, Indigenous Environmental Network and everybody got the attention they need. Uh, I'm going to do a lot more study on this. You've been very, very helpful. Uh, Happy to help. How do people give, one more time, how do people give to Urge, and how do people give to uh, Need Abortion? Yes. So if you are interested in giving to Urge, you can visit our website, which is urgeurge.org, and there you can find many, many resources that we have Um, about real abortion access, as well as all the other many issues that we cover under our reproductive justice umbrella. And then for folks who are interested in helping folks in Texas access their abortions, give to abortion funds, um, and you can go to needabortion.org. They're constantly updating information there, and then your contribution will be split between 10 different abortion funds that are doing this really essential work in Texas. I'd be happy to talk to you all more 
there's lots of <laughs> lots and lots and lots of um, so uh, bills out there that are really putting our reproductive justice rights and rights at a disadvantage. Um, and as much as we can do to get the information out there and keep from disinformation being out there, I would be more than happy uh, to come back and talk about Texas or anywhere else that we're working on this. Well, one thing is that within a day or two, we're going to have this up also as a podcast. It'll be on SoundCloud and on Apple and on uh, where else? Spotify. Spotify. So we're going to we're going to put out an email today is Tuesday. Let's say we'll put it out Thursday with uh all the information that we weren't able to do today. And we'd hope that you would get your friends to go on our site and really listen to the podcast and use the podcast as part of their organizing work because the whole concept of our show is to get the podcast in the hands of the organizers who need the help. So I'll be sending you a direct link and a direct email, and Channing and I are going to get it out by Thursday. And it, I think it could be very helpful in your organizing work and helpful awesome. to expand our work. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. I know we'll be happy to share it as an organization. And then in my, my personal capacity, I'm happy to push it out as well. So really appreciate this opportunity to speak about it. All right, Desiree, you take very good care of yourself. We'll be in touch. All right. Thank you, Eric. Have a good one. Okay. So, folks, this was the first of many. Desiree Lucky from Urge, Urge and uh, also for uh, uh, Need Abortion. She's not with Need Abortion. Uh, I Look, I both are very important. Uh, I like the idea of 10 groups sort of coalescing to try to share the money. A lot of them probably have small budgets, so the larger the contribution would be better to help them. And I think right now, since there's so many things we can't do, I think giving money is just one of the most helpful ways to uh, show a, a vote of confidence. That's your choice. But that at least I want you to know that that's what I'm thinking. I'm also thinking that I bet you there'll be some national calls of people to go to Texas. And I'm already getting myself ready to want to think about, want to think about how a group of us, if there is a call, could be ready to answer that call. So, D'Angelo, we're going to somehow s shift brains and get into Ed Asner and Tiger by the Tail. I'm very much in Texas right now. But why don't we put on some good songs so I can clear my head and put out any, uh, uh, you know, infomercials, and we'll be back in about two minutes. Rock that buggy, get your rocking shoes, we're gonna rock and roll. Come on, cats, let's go, go, go. Hi, I'm Bill Gardner, host of Rhapsody in Black. I play classic rhythm and blues from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Boogie with Bill Gardner every Saturday afternoon from 2 to 4 on KPFK 90.7 FM. Rock that boogie! Here comes the sun, little darling. 
It's hard for me. I realize one reason I like to do just one show is sort of I'm still back in Texas with abortion. But we're going to make a a very positive transition, and then they're totally related. Um, This is about honoring Ed Asner, the late Ed Asner, who died on August 29th, but in a different way than many of you think. Uh, Ed Asner, I think you know, was played by Lou Grant as on the uh, Mary Tyler Moore show. And he played Lou Grant in his own dramatic show. He's the only person who segued as a character, and he became a different character because in in the show Lou Grant, he was a hard nosed investigative reporter and editor, and it was, you know, back then a very left liberal show. And Ed was at the height of his career in the Lou Grant show, only to uh give humanitarian aid to the people of El Salvador and Nicaragua. And uh, to his shock, he was attacked for, you know, essentially aiding the enemy because you have to understand the United States thinks the whole world is their enemy. And Ed, I think, I can't speak for him, but like a lot of celebrities, felt somewhat protected. You know, I mean, I'm Lou Grant. And, and... The show was getting phenomenal ratings. It was up there in the top 10, and CBS just canceled the show. And Ed was devastated. Uh, But as a political animal, he was also the uh, head of the Screen Actors Guild at the time, fighting for the rights of uh, actors. And he was a really good union person. And so now if you fast forward... Almost at the exact same time when he loses his show, I am in an, an auto factory at GM Van Nuys. The story of how I got there, I'll tell you some other time, but basically I had joined a communist group, the August 29th movement with my wife, Leanne. We both got into the auto industry. She was the one who helped me. And for us, getting into the auto industry... I was trying to figure out the analogy. You know, I wouldn't say it's like getting into Harvard, which I hate, plus I beat it up and and I got into jail for two years. So I was sort of like, it's sort of like being one of the pips and Gladys Knights and the pips mm-hmm. would be one of the, the way to an, get an analogy of how great it would be to get into the auto industry. And we went in as communists, right? And our goal was to move the unions to the left and to also learn from the working class. So I get involved in the the Van Nuys plant after having worked at Ford Milpitas, San Jose, which was closing and it closed. Working at Southgate, which was so exciting, only get to be closing and closed. And I landed almost like jumping off sinking shift over at Van Nuys, California. And in Van Nuys, 
There was an amazing group of workers there, 5,000 at its peak, 4,300, as says, while we're doing this uh, film. And I came up with this idea of the campaign to keep GM Van Nuys open. Uh, the campaign was very preemptive. It was very original. It was saying that we could stop General Motors from closing the plant if we could organize a successful boycott in Los Angeles, which is the largest new car market in the United States. Now, you have to understand that at a time when they're threatening your plant, going on strike doesn't do anything because they're saying, fine, go on strike and never come back. Uh, people say, well, why don't, why don't we take over the plant like they did in, in Flint in 1937? Well, first of all, we had no psychological capacity to do that. It was a totally different historical bill, uh, period. And also, if we took over the plant, again, GM would say, well, that's my reason to close it. Mm -hmm. So how do we keep the plant open? And we came up with the idea of not just having a boycott, but having a labor community coalition to keep GM Van Nuys open. And I became the organizer of it while I was still an auto worker. Through a miracle, we built a movement, an all-star team movement, of Ed Asner, Assemblywoman Maxine Waters, Reverend Frank Higgins from the Baptist Ministers Conference, Father Luis Olivares from La Placita Church, Art Torres from the Democratic Party, Howard Berman from the Democratic Party, uh, I think I told you Cesar Chavez, and we actually built this movement that took over two years that actually would have had the capacity to boycott General Motors in Los Angeles. But that was a lot what I did, built a deep structure. We won that campaign. And GM kept the plant open for 10 years. Now, what's amazing about it is a filmmaker, Mikkel Goldman, Michal Goldman, a woman, approached me somewhere in the middle of this campaign as later Haskell Wexler would at the Bus Writers Union and say, I want to do a film about you guys. And, of course, the film is going to end with a victory, right? And I said, well, I can't guarantee you that, but let's do it. So we involved Ed Asner in the story. You can hear Ed Asner in two separate clips. In the first clip, he's a participant. In the, uh, in the first clip, you're going to hear him as the uh, narrator, I think. We'll see. In the second, though, you're going to hear him as one of the participants in the movement. Now, the last thing I'll do, looking at the time, is that you don't bring in the narrator until the film is done because the narration is sort of the structure that explains the shooting and it took me and Mikko a long time to figure out the so-called narrative line of the film. Only once the film is sort of in the can do you then go back and write the narration that will tie everything together. So having had such a good relationship with Ed, I asked Ed if he would be willing to narrate the film he said, I'd love to narrate the film. So we go to Ed's place in West in uh, Studio City. It's a gorgeous, oh my God, a gorgeous office with like blonde wood. It's on the second floor as I remember it. He's got, you know, a suite of offices. 
even though he was fired, he still got the Screen Actors Guild, lots of other things going on. We get there, and it's chaos. I mean, he cannot concentrate. I think I was supposed to give him the script ahead of time, assuming he would take an hour and sit down and read it before we shot it. He didn't read it very carefully, and then just when we got started, Mikko plugged in on the camera, and all the lights went up. And Ed was not happy. This was his office, and we had sort of blown all the lights in his office. So we fix it, took a, and not just by plugging a, whatever those things called, the, the thing that switches back and forth. Uh, it took a while to fix the electricity. <laughs> by the time Ed got the script, let's just say he was not in a very good mood. So we get the script back, and... I knew it wasn't going to be great, but I thought, it'll be, you know, it'll, it'll be fine. Mikko calls me up and says, Eric, Ed's narration is unusable. It's wooden. He's even angry. We think he's angry at us in it. Can't use it. So I say, organizer, I'm not supposed to what to do. So what are we going to do? She said, what do you think you're going to do? You're going to call Ed back and say he has to reshoot the narration. I'm going, great. I'm willing to take on General Motors, but do I want to take on Ed Asner? And then I remember, wait a minute, don't get celebrity intimidated. This is Ed Asner. He's your friend. He's an auto worker. He's a good guy. Be yourself. So I call up Ed. Hey, Eric, great to hear from you. So how'd the narration go? And I think he sort of knew. So I said, Ed, it was, uh, it was quite adequate. He says, adequate, adequate. I never do anything that's adequate. It must have been terrible. He says, all right, all right, let's reshoot it. That was a terrible day. Come on over at the end of the day when I'm not too frazzled. I will read the script better. Come on, we're going to knock this out of the park. I said, Ed, that means so much to me, of course. And he did. So that's the story of how Ed Asner got to narrate this. And from now, we're going to just play a series of clips, and I'll try to explain as little as possible if you can start. And this is from the film, the audio from the film Tiger by the Tail by Michal Goldman. This is the General Motors assembly plant in Van Nuys, California. Since 1947, thousands of workers here have made millions of dollars for GM. Thanks to their union, the United Auto Workers, They've also made a decent life for themselves and their families. Right now, 4,300 workers on two shifts are producing the hot-selling Chevrolet Camaros and Pontiac Firebirds. But General Motors has been threatening to close the plant since 1982. Industry analysts and GM President McDonald himself admit that GM may well close the Van Nuys plant in the next few years. My name is Ed Asner. And this is a story of a union trying to stop a plant closing before it happens. The workers' strategy is clear. They have formed a coalition, one of the broadest I can remember in three decades in the labor movement. They are meeting GM's threat with a threat of their own. If GM ever moves to close this plant, the coalition will initiate a boycott of General Motors products in Southern California the largest new car market in the United States. 
this moon was built with one thing in mind. Keep them eyes open to shifts on the line. Get a commitment from GM as long as they make cars. They'll keep this plant open and we won't have to move to Mars. You do 60 an hour and what do you get? Another year strong against the company's grip. Saying to Peter, don't you call us cause we can go. Here we go. The commitment. The GM won't close. The GM Van Nuys plant is modern, highly efficient, and profitable. But it no longer fits into the master plan of General Motors. In 1978, the pressures of international competition forced the U.S. auto industry into a major structural crisis. The big three automakers responded with bold and ruthless reorganizations, concentrating domestic production in the Midwest, importing subcompact cars from Japan, less cars but more profits per car, less workers and more robots, and the cruelest tactic of all, Entire plants shut down permanently. No region in the U.S. was hit harder than California. From 1980 to 1982, five auto plants employing 21,000 workers at peak production were closed forever. Ford Pico Rivera and Ford San Jose, Mack Truck in Hayward, GM plants in Southgate and Fremont closed. Almost overnight, GM Van Nuys became the last remaining U.S. auto plant in the state. This is the story of the movement to keep GM Van Nuys open. It is a story about workers. Not workers as victims, but workers as strategists, workers as organizers. We are living at a time when the labor movement is suffering defeats, and looking for answers. And with enough people, UAW Local 645 is developing some of the boldest and most innovative ideas in the battle against plant closings. Let's listen to their story. Now, I don't know if the next clip is going to be what I hope it is, but is this James McDonald? Yes. So let me just set the scene for you. It's uh, another two years into the movement, you got, you got to get the film Tiger by the Tail. And they send the president of, of GM to meet with us. And uh, as you'll hear, when he first goes in, they say, do you feel threatened or intimidated by this meeting? He says, nobody ever threatens me. He goes into the meeting, and basically Maxine and myself and... Uh, Reverend Higgins, in a meeting he's never seen, threaten him with a boycott at a level of detail that makes him aware it really is going to happen, which he was not expecting. You'll hear him come out very shaken, very disoriented, not the same guy who walked in, and listen to his monologue about what he thinks of boycotts. After protracted negotiations, General Motors agreed to send their president, F. James McDonald, to meet with the coalition. 
The meeting took place at the Beverly Hilton Hotel, where the coalition presented its demand for a long-term commitment to the Van Nuys plant. The, uh, uh, the request uh, came to, uh, to General Motors in a, in a uh, letter to uh, Roger Smith, and uh, we said that, uh, you know, when it was, uh, the opportunity was right, uh, one of us was on the uh, West Coast, we'd be glad to meet with Do you feel Mr. like you're being pressured you in feel, any way, sir? Do I feel what? Like you're being pressured in any way? No, I don't think I ever get pressured. Mr. McDonald. No media was allowed inside the conference room. Did you tell the people in the inside the meeting that there's a possibility that you may have to close that plant? Oh, we, we said the markets are exceedingly strong right now. They just look outstanding. I, I don't see any uh, reason for closing that plant right now. But as far as guaranteeing forever that they'll be there, I, I don't know how you can do that. Did the threat of a boycott in any way make you uh, more agreeable to this meeting, sir? Well, you know, I, I don't think threats uh, solve anything. Threats on our part or threats on anybody else's part. Uh, we. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't ignore uh, people talking about uh, boycotts. We, we simply don't think they're good for business. Uh, they, they would uh, hurt business, so if somebody says that uh, we didn't pay attention to it, uh, uh, we do pay attention to things like that. Uh, but that's not the way to solve problems today. For any of you that organizers, you may never get a better statement in your life. He came out and said, well, <laughs> I don't like boycotts. They're not good for business. Duh, that was the whole point. And he says, and then he says, if people say we don't pay attention to boycotts, uh, 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 we do. And when you get the film, you'll see the amazing facial difference. He's a broken man when he comes out. He's, he's lost all that false bravado. He's never seen anybody threaten him the way we threatened him. And uh, he made a, th by the way, he made a three-year commitment to us in that room after we had a long negotiation with him. So now we're going to go to, uh, I I'm hope Maxine Waters. That plant has become a symbol of all of the plants that have been closed down in America. In order to have a strong boycott, you must do considerable organizing. Those of us who are here today who represent large constituencies are prepared to do that and expand our work in organizing so that if in the third year or the fourth year or the fifth year they decide to close down that plant, we will be ready to go. What Maxine was saying is to uh, GM, in the third year or the fourth year or the fifth year, you just gave us three years and Maxine was the lead negotiator. I was the lead opener. So she's already telling them and telling us, if you want to keep this plan open for 10 years, you've got to keep organizing. So when she, that's the code of, so if in the third year, in the fourth year, the fifth year, we couldn't announce we won a three-year victory, but we had gotten the deal that we had. All right, next speaker, and thank you. I come to you as an old UAW card carrier. Spot polisher and buffer in Kansas City and a metal finisher in Chicago. Uh, if you call GM today, they'll tell you that there are no plans. No, 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 no plans. Because you should shut down the Van Nuys plan. 
and, and, and some people think that we should believe them. Well, we would like to. But their long-term strategies seem to belie their assurances. Someone, Oscar Wilde, I believe it was, once said that a cynic is a man who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. American corporations are cynics. They know only our cost, never our value. Their profits outshout our dreams. And all too often, their cynicism infects us. It gets to us. And we begin to doubt our own worth. But not here and not today. For our unity and our activism, our bishop, are the powerful reaffirmation of human values and social conscience over cynicism and corporate greed. El pueblo unido avanzará vencido. The people united will never be defeated. Thank you. And the thing that's great for those of you who know Ed is I think that was one of the happiest days of his life. He wasn't Lou Grant. He wasn't Ed as, as the actor. He was a spot polisher and buffer in Kansas City. He was a UAW member in a UAW hall with black and Latino people who didn't particularly give a damn that he was a TV star. They just liked him because he was Ed Asner, that cool guy that used to be an auto worker. And I saw Ed and knew Ed, and I think that's one of the happiest days of his life, just to be part of a movement. We're going to try to end with the amazing Reverend Frank Higgins because remember, the title of this film by Mikko Goldman is Tiger by the Tail. If they're interested, how do they reach you, Channing, on the film? They can go to www.thestrategycenter.org slash about, and the film is right there in the actual store. Or you can email me, uh, Channing at the Strategy Center dot org. All right, uh, we get through it. I'm going to say good night now. This is the Reverend Frank Higgins after the meeting with McDonald when we won. The first thing is this plant must not close. It must not close, and we're here to see that it does not close. We're tough enough for the battle. There's some words they use that. Uh, disturbed me. They they used terms, I should say. They kept saying sound business practices. Everything falls under sound business practices. What they're saying by using that terminology is that as far as they're concerned, the whole world uh, is their marketplace. And, and they're saying that they could care a damn about these plants in America. They can put plants elsewhere. That's cold. That's very cold. That shows insensitivity. And it shows as to what we're dealing with. And this is the first time that they have seen a coalition form in this nation that would make them come to bargain table. They didn't come to bargaining to bargain. They came to deal with us as though we were children. But they wound up leaving there knowing they had a tiger by the tail.
Well, thanks, everybody. It's been an amazing show. Reverend Higgins, when you say Tiger by the Tail, that's how we won. Give attention to urge to uh, getabortion.org. Take action. Do something. This is a Voices from the Front Lines. Help us be on the front lines. We'll be following both campaigns. Brother Ed, may you rest in peace. Uh, a life beautifully run. And for the sisters in Texas, we got your back. We'll do everything we can to help. You're doing great. And in our own way, we're going to figure out how to win this thing. Yes, regrets. I've had a few. But then again.